You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. But yeah, I mean, going solo, it has its it has its good stuff and it's not so good stuff. Like there are days when I look at like like a huge fan of Spirit Box now, and I look at Courtney and Mike, and they're a married couple, and like you know he's writing all the music and she gets to sing over top of them. And I'm like, I would love to have someone who's equally invested in a project as I am, as much as I am, we're on the same page where they're helping me compose the music and they're invest. They're taking like, you know, the workload off of my plate with writing and finances and marketing and business. You know what I mean? But like, there's that, but at the same time, it's like, I do get to call the shots and I know exactly the music I want to make. So it has its, goods and it's bads I do sometimes miss the band dynamic but at the same time it's like you just learn to kind of breathe as an alpha female on your own and I have an incredible team around me both business and music so no complaints you know but it gets lonely hey what's up Vox and Hops heads I'm Matt the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops metal podcast brought to you by Sound Talent Media and Evergreen Podcasts where I sit down with fellow metal musicians talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers hope you had a killer week I most certainly did. This Vox and Hops episode is presented by Heavy Montreal. Heavy Montreal is Montreal's premier metal promoter. If you are ever in Montreal and you are looking for a great metal show to go to, well, trust me, Heavy Montreal will have you covered. They put on a bunch of killer shows all year long. Uh, they are simply the best. Goddamn stoked to have them behind the podcast. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I'd just like to ask you to follow the Vox and Hops metal podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. But more than that, I would love for you to tell a friend about the podcast. If there's someone in your life that just loves extreme music, that just loves craft beer, well, you should absolutely let them know that the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast exists. If you were to encourage one of your craft beer-loving metalhead friends to become a brand new Vox and Hops head, that would be something that I would truly appreciate. Now, today on the podcast, I'm very stoked to be with Lindsay Schoolcraft. Get ready, everyone. This is Vox and Hops episode number 437. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. What's up, everyone? Today, I'm very stoked to be with Lindsay Schoolcraft, uh, a Canadian metalhead. Then, funnily enough, we've actually never crossed paths, which is something that baffles me because I feel like I know all the cool Canadian metalheads and metal musicians that have been successful throughout the years, uh, but we've actually never crossed paths. We have played a festival together. I have uh, fond memories of watching you at a brutal assault. I was uh, seated at a place uh, where I was not supposed to be because it's on an, in an old fortress, and we sort of snuck upstairs up onto the, the high uh, upper echelons of the fortress, which whatever is left of the fortress, and I do remember watching with Cradle filth there uh having an excellent time with my my awesome friend um, mega who i'm going to be hanging out with shortly in asia and uh just you know shout out to uh, brutal salts and I, I won't do it again thomas i swear but i might because it's such a good spot to watch shows uh, a long introduction to say Lindsay, how you doing hey i'm really good how are you <laughs> i'm great it's, it's great to be with you uh, it's it's awesome to to connect with uh, successful canadian metal musicians uh, especially people that i don't know so uh very very simple uh, how are you doing i'm glad to be with you uh, how has uh, this fall season been uh we were talking a bit before we pushed record here about uh the heavy of finishing up years and we're both feeling it uh, talk to me about uh, you know seeing the the end light and uh, walking towards it and crawling dragging ourselves towards it hypothetically oh god i don't even know where to start it's just been a really wild year um you know and hey like you and i finally get to talk like i've been waiting for this for a while so this is sick um but yeah this has been um a really strange year i feel like everyone this year is just tired and that's okay because we're waiting for a normalization from the dark days or the dark years a while ago so um yeah i just decided i was going to make a lot of changes to my life and my team and my career and now yeah i feel that like i said dragging my corpse across the finish line but i'm good i'm happy i'm accomplished it's just uh i'm definitely taking all of december off <laughs> good for you um i am also and funnily enough you are my last episode for 2023 uh i'm gonna Stay. close up i i have been organizing breaks with the podcast throughout the past two years where i do three months on and i take a month off so you are going to be the final episode of 2023 uh, aside from my top 10 episodes which i 
still put out because I'm crazy. Uh, but I think something that you mentioned there was very interesting is the, the dark days that were behind us. I think a lot of us throughout the dark days took on a bunch of extra tasks. And uh, because we had a bit more time and then with the world opening up, and our normal, let's say, normal tasks are back at full force, full swing. We still kept a lot of those extra tasks. At least I'm speaking for myself here 100% with the podcast yeah. running as hard as it did during the po- during the pandemic. And then now having Cryptopsy back running full time. It's been a struggle balancing both and trying to keep the level of uh, consistency and my perfectionist um, issues um keeping things up to par with what I want them to be at in both fields. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I think that's why so many of us are overwhelmed because we were stuck inside and we didn't have to leave the house, but now we have to leave the house. It's like, I got to go see my parents and see my friends and like, you know, do run arounds and all that jazz, like more so like, you know, I remember back in the dark days, it was like, I'd only go grocery shopping every three weeks. I'm like, what do you mean? I have to go grocery, grocery shopping every week. That's, that's two hours out of my schedule that like, you know what I mean? Like I'm supposed to be doing stuff. So yeah. like, where, you know, where's, where, where's my, where's the, where's my time? I missed the time. Right. Wait, like, we had daylight savings like I... time recently. And oh, I, it was God, the best depressing. day ever because I had an extra, <laughs> I was sitting with my wife on the couch at the end of the night and I was like, this is a great day. We got so much stuff done because we had an extra hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now ridiculous. it doesn't feel like that anymore. Yeah. But, I, um, mm-hmm. during the pandemic, the dark days, as you've been calling it, um, yeah, I started days. ordering my groceries online and that is one thing that I have continued to do. I, no. I, I never <laughs> went back. <laughs> That's Listen, if you can afford it, go for it. Like, I'm the same way. I still order a lot of Uber Eats, uh, especially when you're like crunch for deadlines. And you're like, I don't have time to cook. What's yeah. cooking? I love cooking. Um, but yeah, so hopefully everyone finds their balance again next year. I mean, I'm definitely going to be dropping that, which does not work in the new year. So watch Hell out, yes. people. Well, there you go. I like that. Vox and Hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends, talking about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers usually. But you do not drink. You're, you're sober. So so what are you going to be drinking on your side? You did do something craft, which I appreciate. Uh, what, what, what do you got going on on your side there? So I made a hot apple cider. So like, don't think I went out and like crushed the apples or have any special machinery. Um, I just went and bought it from uh, the local grocery store. Again, not two hours out of my week, so I don't get any more. Um, <laughs> Sacrifices for Vox and Hops. <laughs> I know, right? I, well, it's kind of left over from Halloween, Samhain, so. Um, but yeah, I boil it in a pot with um, slices of orange and chai tea and cinnamon oh, sticks, yeah. and it's so good. It's so full of sugar, though. Like, I'm going to be high on sugar for the next hour, at least. So. Good. good. Like, yeah. I, I got you for that, and then you'll crash, and I'll let you go. On my side, it's a special beer that uh, two Vox and Hops alumni made together. Uh, Josh Barnett, uh, the war master, uh, the UFC fighter, now he's into wrestling, uh, did a collab with my good friend Eddie Torres from the uh, RRB podcast um they made a bourbon barrel aged barley wine 11.5 percent. so basically it's a barley wine that they threw into josh barnett's bourbon barrels because he has his own bourbon company hey, uh, so cool. uh, this was a headache to make from what i've heard uh, they went through hell and back to uh finally get their hands on their beer and uh, they gave it to me when i was in la so uh i have not tasted this they gave me two cans christian donaldson enjoyed one of them after our gig at 1720 uh with josh barnett where he uh gave him a chop on the chest which was amazing to watch and witness across the uh, the internets it's alive out there if you guys want to see that um i'm gonna i'm gonna crack this uh and let's have you ever drank is that everything i always ask about people's first beers did you ever have a beer oh yeah oh yeah i've had i've had a few beers in my time i mean like i might look 12 but i'm (laughs) approaching 40 and um yeah i used to drink beer but the craft beer is the nicer stuff um but yeah, no, I haven't. I haven't. I actually probably haven't had a beer in over five, six years. Interesting. So, so what would be that very first beer experience? Do, do you do you have a story? Is it a is it an Oshawa experience? Is it is it a, uh, is it a, is it something embarrassing? Because they tend to be. I mean, no. Like the first time I got drunk was my nineteenth birthday, and it was off of those like Vex, those stupid Vex coolers. But then, yeah, then I then I really got into like drinking a whole pitcher of beer going out for nachos usually i like bud <laughs> I, 
was 22. I had like no taste. Okay. Like, don't That's judge okay. me. <laughs> I had no yeah. taste at 22 either, Lindsay. Uh, we, none of us did. <laughs> We're all faking it. <laughs> so, so what happened five years ago to make you turn the, the page and to step away from, from drinking in general? Oh, mental health, physical health, finances. Um, you know, when you have really big career goals and ambitions, you just can't spend another day hungover and I get really yes. bad hangovers and then I lie in bed super depressed and anxious and beating myself up and I'm like that's enough but then the dark days happened and I relapsed for about a year and gained 30 pounds Ooh, and shit. and that was when I was and I'm a tiny person so that's when I was like oh crap this is like you know you, you just don't want to wake up every day hating yourself so I was like yeah no it's got to go again I was on a two-year streak it was a really good two-year streak and then yeah so I came I came back around and um I just say no I'm dry till I die I just I I don't like how alcohol makes me feel and um that's just my choice but I'm not going to be like you know tell my friends not to drink if they want to drink like not no it's a very it, very know? personal journey with 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 most substances or or vices we could say and I do agree that and I had that same thought process when I just embarked on Cryptopsy's recent tour. I was having conversations with my wife, Jessica, producer of the podcast. And there was this like, you know, you're back out there. There's so many people with my relationship with alcohol. People like to bring me stuff such as this beer. Um, so there was this slippery, dangerous thing of like, you can just overindulge and then you forget why you're actually out on the road or what your goals actually are. And that was something that I'm glad that I reflected upon before I went on tour because it was a conscious mental decision each night to not have that extra beer and to go to bed and to wake up and to feel good and to enjoy the next day as much as the previous day. So having goals and, and realizing that those goals were not being accomplished or were being impeded from being accomplished more easily because you were feeling like shit from drinking is, is something that's a good step that you took towards. When you stopped that first time, was it a dry till you die or was it a, hey, let's just take a break and see how I feel type thing? It was it was like the first time it was definitely I needed a break because like I was in Cradle of Filth and the, that crew parties really hard. And there was like just everyone could drink a bottle of wine a night. And it's like you're on tour and you're you're doing your own teching. And, you know, I was like makeup and hair and wardrobe and social media and A&R and secretary like I was doing all these things and I was like, and it, it, you know, like I can say I am an alcoholic, a recovering alcoholic, like it runs in my family. And, um, there's just no, like in your case, you're so lucky that you can be like, I can, I'll just enjoy one or I'll just enjoy two. And that's like enough. Like when you're an alcoholic and you have an addiction, it's zero to 100. Like there's no, you know, you just keep going until, like I've spent, and you said you didn't like flying. I've spent so many hours at the airport hungover and it's just like the worst yeah. moments yeah. of my life. And then, you know, fans come up to you and you don't want to talk to them. And you're like, this sucks. I don't want my fans to think that I, I hate them because I don't, I just feel like throwing up right now. Absolutely. So, yeah. So it was just like, you know, I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to drink because when I go home, everyone drinks. And when I'm on tour, if I drink like, it's going to get in the way of trying to make things happen for myself and this band. So then I said, I'll only drink on weddings. And then I went to Sydney to my friend's wedding and I got so drunk. Like I barely remember half of the night and I'm like, okay, I clearly have a problem. Yeah. Like, <laughs> there's, 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 there's only, just... only a hundred percent. There's no 20%. You're, you're all in once, yeah, once the I tap a... goes committed i'm committed to this so you know and then the pandemic hit and it was kind of a it was kind of a hard moment where i should have just i should have just been like no we're not doing this again but when the pandemic the sorry the dark days hit um i was on a plane to the junos landing in saskatoon and then when we landed the junos were canceled and we had a hotel room that night and we had to book our flights back early and I just felt like I lost everything because like I was like that was my dream since I was 15. I had first spot on the red carpet. I didn't care. Like Stryker won that year and Stryker deserved the win. They're incredible. Um, I still don't to this day like it just it, I can't fathom I even got nominated. And it was such a beautiful year because there was the Agonist and Cobra and the Lotus and a single mothers. It was just like such a cool year. And uh, 
I lost everything. So the guys were just sitting around drinking and I just said, fuck it. Then I just started. And then I, you know, and I went down that path and the person I was with at the time saw me going down that path and saw me struggling and didn't do or say anything about it. And I really don't believe that's love. I think if you, if you love someone, you're going to at least say something, you know, I understand everyone's like, they're allowed to their own devices. But if you watch someone slowly destroying themselves and you don't do or say anything about it, like how much do you really care for that person? Ultimately that's why that relationship ended um, because of the lack of like understanding that mature partnership that was needed there. But uh, yeah, I just hit a point. I was about to fly out and work with the cancer bats on a performance that they had and uh, joined them for some instrument instrumentation and backing vocals. It was like their live thing that they did for YouTube. And that's, I was like, I weighed the most I ever weighed. And I was like, I'm done. Like I've got, I don't feel good. I'm not happy. Like this is bad. And that was when I was like, okay, like this is it. Try to you know? die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it happened around my birthday. So. We got, we got to go through struggles in life. It's, it's, you learn the most through the darkest days. Yes. Yep. And Absolutely. I've had a few. Then you have, <laughs> yeah, we, we all have, luckily we have, because that's how we grow. And especially as artists and, and as humans and having that experience and now having this newfound vision in your life and in new relationships, uh, it's, you got, you got to go through the shit to get to the good, sadly. Yeah. I wouldn't have it any other way. Look at my life now. And, you know, four years ago, leaving Cradle and like everything, I look at life now and I'm like, no, nah, shit's good. You know, but it, it's it's up to you to pull yourself out of it and get you there. Like, that's the thing that people don't understand. It's not like all of a sudden things just start getting better. It's like you make those decisions and do the hard work for it to get better. Absolutely. Was it mm-hmm. basically impossible for you to stay in Cradle and be sober? I would imagine not. There's a lot of bands that have members that are sober. I've, there's other bands where, if, especially if it's a key member, and I don't know if this is public knowledge, so I'm not going to bring out the band's name, but the, basically it's a dry camp because this one oh, primary yeah. member of the band cannot have it around. That's, that's yeah, fair. And that's the thing, like when I sobered up being in Cradle, they at first, some certain members didn't really understand it and kept forgetting and trying to like pass me drinks. And I'm like, you're not helping. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Like, and I like people like that, like they just don't have the intelligence and maturity to understand that person's autonomy and their boundaries. And that's on them. But for, like, I've gone vegan and I've had to refuse dish after dish after meal. <laughs> I'm like, like, I don't put this in my body. You know what I mean? So in the beginning, I think they're just a bit like they eventually got, they understood. And then they, you know, there, there was an understanding. So like, yeah, absolutely. Like there would have been no issue with me being sober and staying in that band. Okay. Awesome. Um, I love to hear about the soundtrack of your youth. When you're growing up in your parents or guardians house, what music was playing when you were not in control of the radio? What music did your parents or guardians listen to? It was just, it was just like top 40. So a lot of top 40 of the late eighties, and then all the good shit that happened in the 90s, all the good shit, like everything from like Baxter Boys and Sinks, Spice Girls, Britney Spears, um, Whitney Houston, like all that stuff, like the good stuff that was on TV and on the radio. But the cool stuff that my parents brought in was like ABBA, Cher, Bee Gees, and then my dad introduced me to like Eagles, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd like cool shit like that. So I'm, I'm really grateful for the stuff that they brought into the household and even like Johnny Cash and, you know, yeah, that was what we'd listen to around the house. Beatles, Beatles was a big one too. What would be something that you brought into the house that shared with them much to hypothetically their dismay or something that they enjoyed? I'm just trying to think. Um, I really liked Dido and Moby. And my dad, my dad really got into them. So he would like put those CDs on the stereo system and they'd be cool with it. Uh, Around the time I knew that like my love of Blink-182 and pop punk would not be shared with them, but they seemed to really like that first album from Evanescence. So they wouldn't mind playing that one around the house. That was like mid high school for me. Um, 
but yeah, like I never really expected them to really like once I turned like 13, 14 and the angst set in, I was like, this is my music. I don't want to share this with you. Okay. You're not, you're too old. You're not, you don't cool understand. Like yeah. uh, you don't understand. Would, yeah. you, would you wear the headphones or would you blast it? And, and, but it was yours. I had the, like the crappy foam headphones with the plastic band and on the Discman or the Walkman. Yes. And I still have it to this day, at least the Discman. I can you're see looking it from at here. It, I can tell you. <laughs> yeah. I was like, it's like the, the glimmer in my eyes. <laughs> so many hours of happiness on that I disc agree. player. When yeah. the people that we used to run with it and it would skip just just uh, i know right <laughs> and then and then they brought it one that like didn't skip it's like yeah it's still skip. skipped it's still skipped <laughs> it's like it's like all right i'm gonna go dirt biking with yeah. this we're gonna test this out <laughs> at what point did the um, voice come into your life uh, you're you're you play so many instruments you got you know you play piano you play harp the vocals what what would be first what was your first love when what did you fall into first as a musician uh, what would be the first instrument it was the bass guitar interesting I actually, wow yes yeah I, I played it for six years and i got really bored because like bless my teacher he tried so hard to keep me interested and he showed me some really cool shit and I learned with fingers. Like he's like, no, you're gonna be like proper bassist. You're gonna learn with fingers. You're gonna not have any sympathy chords or sympathy strings going on. You're gonna like be a good player. Um, and then he started getting me into slap and funk. And that's when I just was like, I like I'm, I I don't care. But but and I told this to um Alex from Cannibal Corpse recently. I said, if I was ex- if I was introduced to extreme like heavy technical death metal i think i would have stuck with it (laughs) you'd see me in some band by now playing bass guitar but my teacher didn't know so my teacher didn't expose me to it and and then i just evanescence ruined my life and i was in classical singing and piano forever after that so Interesting. Well, what was it about Evanescence that that just captivated you? Was it was it the magic and the black metal? Was it the what 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 got you there? Was it the 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 angstiness of it? The it was just so magical. It was like they could do this industrial undertow with this new metal, you know, alternative guitar at the time, but it was also like it had piano and strings. And I was like, I loved a lot of classical music. I love the piano. I love what the band was doing and I love those little like scratchy drum loop electronic moments, which I know that there's a huge trip hop influence in that band. That's one of my favorite genres. So like it all just kind of, yeah, it's like it just all mashed together and I'm like this impressionable 16 year old and you know, I'm singing a lot at this point too. And I was like, I don't know what this is, but I definitely know I want to make music similar to this and that that's what just threw you know i i sold my bass guitar today i actually started playing my bass again just for shits and giggles but oh god i'm so bad set of practice it's been 20 (laughs) years but um (laughs) uh yeah i just decided i want to get into singing lessons and i want to like be a better composer and singer and learn the piano and like i went hard into that for at least a decade so it felt like it felt like a decade i'd say it was more like six years but it was a very long six years. <laughs> well, if you do something in school professionally, like like going to school for real, real, it takes time. Back to the base. Why the base, though? How did that happen? I want that story. Was it a band? Was it was it did you was it like they were missing a basis and you had no choice but to pick up a base? How, how did the base end up in your hands? I think because my dad plays guitar and there was guitars around the house and I would play, but I just was not getting the hang of it. And then I discovered Blink-182 and I saw like Mark playing the bass guitar and I was like, oh, that looks like way more fun. Like, I just want to do that. And I got one for my birthday when I was 15. That was that was the end of it. (laughs) So how much easier is the bass to you say that you're, you're not very proficient at the bass at this exact moment compared to a harp? Oh God, the harp was like the, that was just like my quarter life crisis, like impulse decision. (laughs) I was in university. I had OSAP money. I found a harp dealer because like they're a lot more accessible now, but we're talking back in 2010. There was like one person who sold harps in all of Ontario down in London, Ontario. For those who don't know, that's like the West South end near like, you know, not even near, 
yes, Detroit. Thank you. I was like, no, not Niagara, Detroit. And I had to like drive out three hours with like $2,000 cash. Like that's all she would take. Basically a drug deal. <laughs> it felt like it. it felt, I was like, oh God, am I going to die? Like, are they going to turn my guts into harp strings? Like what's going on here? I love that. So, um, <laughs> so by the way, I use nylon strings, not animal gut strings, but um, yeah. So I'm looking at her right now and I just went out and I was like, you know, at that point I was really proficient with, with piano and classical piano. And I was like, this is nothing like piano. It's like a whole other, it's almost like playing a bow and arrow. Like there's no other way to describe it, but it's been a long journey. I think it took me about three years of like hard, dedicated practice to get proficient at it, you know? And even now I'm kind of out of, after the year I've had, I, have, I haven't played it too much, but we'll see what the winter holds. <laughs> I think it's cool. Whenever I see people that play the harp, like let's say on public transport or stuff like that, same thing with the, with an upright bass type thing. I'm like, this person commits. This, this person's into it. If you can drag that around, <laughs> you're, oh, yeah. you're in love. <laughs> Yeah, we have we get spoiled as harpists though. There's like these harpsicle harps now. They're like really portable and they're electric and they're great. I have one I've like Frankensteined into my own thing. <laughs> so, you know, I'm I'm excited to always show up to the studio with that because it's about the size of a guitar now. So oh, it's so cool. Yeah. Back to you growing up. What would be your first musical experience? The first thing that you went to go see? Oh, that's a really good question. Um my parents love their silence and they were not big concert goers they were so just like overwhelmed by the lifestyle of the 90s of like owning a house and their careers and like all of our family stuff that like the last thing they wanted to do on the weekend was go to a concert drive into toronto us- and yeah this that was the thing back then nothing came out here to whitby oshawa so you know the most they would do was like take us to the you know, the CN or like, you know, in the fall, um, the exhibition or uh, the zoo, you know what I mean? Because me and my sister loved animals. Like it was just like, that was the, that was the extent of it. It was like, there's no way in hell you'd catch my parents at a live concert. They're really not like that even now in their retired years. Um, But it was in high school. Like my first concert was um, at the opera house. I was 15 and um, I went to see there's I can't remember which one it was. I, I went to see there's two that I remember. I don't remember which one was first. I went to see Not By Choice with I think they were called the salads. I could be wrong. They were ska and Cauterize was opening. No, Toe was opening, but they turned into Cauterize. That was a really weird lineup. And then um, there was another one at the Phoenix. It was like the Atari's when they just put out their boys this summer oh, cover yeah. and was so they had sh- right. They had sugar cults autopilot off and Rufio opening for them. So I have a big background in pop punk. Like that tell, was my origins. Yeah. I can tell that was like 2001. Two, I want to say three. Yeah. Maybe when the boys of summer came remember. out, I remember I was in CJEP. I think it was my second semester, maybe third semester when that was so big. Mm-hmm. That Atari's. Yeah. But then, but then, like, Papa Roach was blowing up with their hit. Absolutely. And same with Jimmy Eat World, you know. And it, there was just this big, like, at, what a great time for music between, like, early 2000s to, like, the time I graduated around 04, 05. Because things got a little weird, 06 and beyond. But there's this really nice time for music. And um, it was a good, like, potpourri. You'd have pop punk and punk and new metal and alternative. And, like, I really loved A Perfect Circle at the time. Oh, so. Yes. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's when I like started going to shows. And for me, it was just like, holy shit. Like I just it really solidified that that's what I wanted to do. And it makes me really happy because I have played the Opera House in the Phoenix now. Hell so yes. it's, pretty, it's pretty cool. <laughs> it's actually the first place that I met Lord Worm was at the Opera House. <laughs> when he was no uh, still singing for Cryptopsy before I was in Cryptopsy. And I'm not sure I said this on the podcast. I probably have. Uh, he got completely naked while I was speaking to him uh, after the show. And I imagine I was nice. just probably in, infringing upon his personal time and space. So is this him asserting dominance? Maybe. Yeah. 
hypothetically sound it's maybe I was a bit too eager to have a conversation with him right after he got off stage. Maybe. Have I stolen that move from him? I have not. <laughs> and well, whenever you really don't want to talk to someone. Oh, I stayed though. You just, you know, you, you maintain eye contact and you just keep going. <laughs> oh, no. I guess I was a punisher. <laughs> or brave. Maybe. Yeah. Wow. The I'm, opera house. I'm that shower was something back in the day. It's, it's way better now. I know. I've heard. But back yeah. in the day. Oh, yeah. It was basically a pipe yeah. mm-hmm. with no shower head. If my memory serves me correct. And shout out to Noel from Inertia who booked us all. And now it's a live nation. So he doesn't do shows there anymore. But, uh, I remember Noel doing that. Talk to me about uh, being solo versus collaborating with people. It's been 10 years now, basically, that you're releasing music as a solo artist. So many songs, so many creations. Um, At what point did you being solo become such an important part of your identity versus being in a band? You're, You're most notably known for being with Cradle of Filth, obviously. Uh, what, what, what is the difference between collaborating in someone else's project and doing your own stuff? Oh man, that's a good question, dude. And I had, I was actually thinking about this earlier today. I don't remember why, but something came up and it was like, like my first band out of high school was called Princess Riot. And we were like a very Jack off Jill letters to Cleo pop punk kind of outfit. And then when we dissolved, I did another thing called Mary and the Black Lamb, which was like this, like kind of, you know, pop goth rock thing. Um, and I think I've just always been a solo artist. I just kind of hid behind other bands because who does a solo act in metal and rock? Like right out of the gate, right out of the gate. Like I'm a solo artist. And I think also at the time, like Avril Lavigne was getting a lot of shit for it because she's a solo artist who does this like pop, sometimes a once one off pop punk song here and there. And it's just like, she's a pop star, like she's a poser. No one takes her seriously. She has, she like, has writers with her. So she's not a solo artist. And that was a big thing back in the day too, though. That, that yeah, to know. be a solo artist, you had to actually be the sole creative genius. When in yeah, reality, yeah, when so in reality like, that's, that's not true. It's a fallacy. It's yeah. No, it takes a village. Like there's a whole team behind every artist Absolutely. and every band. You know what I mean? Even like people don't realize the business team that goes behind metal bands these days. Um, and the crew and the production is just, it's wild. So yeah, I always just hid behind bands. And then eventually the second time my band fell apart, it was due to egos and, and like not having the same direction. And like, I was the one funding everything and managing everything, but like no one was respecting me. And I was like, I'm not doing this again. I'm like I was writing music for Mary and the Black Lamb coming out of it. And I was like, I'm keeping this for me. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and I just decided to go solo and it was wild. The minute that I did it and I released my first EP, which was like not metal at all. It was just like this chill, ambient, goth stuff, like ballads and shit, symphonic ballads, I guess you could say. That's like just when everything took off. But then, of course, like right after I released it, six months later, I'm on a plane to go meet Cradle of Filth. And I'm like, shit, I joined another band. Crap. Like, I don't do well in bands. <laughs> but it wasn't my band. That's no, a um, big exception, that one. It's, it's it's a rolling machine that you just stepped onto. You, you basically strapped yourself onto a rocket and enjoyed seven yeah. years of party time. Yeah, party time. Excellent. Yes. Oh, yeah. It was a cradle came and went very quickly but yeah i mean going solo it has its it has its good stuff and it's not so good stuff like there are days when i look at like like a huge fan of spirit box now and i look at courtney and mike and they're a married couple and like you know he's writing all the music and she gets to sing over top of them like i would love to have someone who's equally invested in a project as i am as much as i am we're on the same page where they're helping me compose the music and they're invest. They're taking like, you know, the workload off of my plate with writing and finances and marketing and business. You know what I mean? But like, there's that, but at the same time, it's like, I do get to call the shots and I know exactly the music I want to make. So it has its goods and it's bads. I do sometimes miss the band dynamic, but at the same time, it's like you just learn to kind of breathe as an alpha female on your own. And I have an incredible team around me, both business and music. So no complaints, you know, but it gets lonely. It's a, <laughs> it's a very lonely endeavor. What always comes to my mind 
when I speak to solo artists is is the writing process and knowing when it's good enough is is something that always comes to my mind. How do you know when a song is finished? How do you know when it's it's done? Because typically in a band setting, it ends up being like a a circle of approval where like you think, oh, here's my idea. I like this. And then another person's like, oh, it is a good idea. You're right. And then all of a sudden it's like, well, the song is done. Oh, no, it's good enough. Let's do next. When you're alone, you got to do this with yourself, multiple personalities, hypothetically. That's I know a song is done when it doesn't feel like anything's missing. And it feels like everything flows. That's just, you know, like if there's a part that's missing or there's a harmony that's missing or structurally it's missing something like when I list like when I listen to something beginning to end, I'm like, that's got to go. That sounds that sound is weird. I don't like it. It's like nails on a chalkboard for me. Um, Yeah. Like once it's like nothing's missing and everything flows, I can listen to the song beginning to end and I I thoroughly enjoy it. And I'm enjoying the listener's journey, even though I've at that point heard it like a thousand times. And I'm like, part of me is like, oh, I'm so over this song. Like, can we be done? I just try to silence that voice because it's it's a very YOLO moment where you're like, when this is done, this is out there forever. And it's like, I hate recreating old songs. That's a whole other story with Patreon. I was, I was heading towards about. Patreon. <laughs> we have a lot to talk about with Patreon because, oh boy, howdy, do I have some shit to share on that. But um, yeah, like I just, you know, I've, I've felt it when it's like, okay, like all the instrument, the guitar is right. The bass is right. The drums are right. The orchestration is where I want it to be. Like, you know, these parts, these simpler, quiet parts do what they're supposed to do. You just like, for me, it's an intuition. You just know. Hey, what's up, Vox and Hopsins? I just want to take a little moment about Cryptopsy's upcoming tours. That's right. I'm talking about the Scream of Perseverance tour and our headliner dates that coincide with that tour called As Summer Burns. The Scream of Perseverance tour is kicking off at the end of May and runs all the way until the end of June. We are supporting the mighty death to all. We are going all over the United States and we are hitting some of Canada. So excited to be honoring the legendary music of death alongside amazing musicians that performed on these albums. Even more stoked to be doing some headliner dates in some cities that I've actually never played in. If you are planning to come to any of these shows, you should definitely grab your tickets by going to voxandhops.com slash summer and you will be able to grab all of your tickets there. That's voxandhops.com slash summer. Do it, people. Come hang out with me. Enjoy life, metal, and craft beer in your hometown. Come to a show. We're going to have a great time. Now, enough about all of that. Let's get back to the episode. Patreon. Uh, it's a lot of work. I, Cryptopsy was independent for many, many years, and releasing music on your own is a lot of work. We, we dabbled with the idea of doing a Patreon probably about five, six years ago. And with the podcast and just doing everything that I was doing for the real world with no Patreon subscribers and just imagining and having conversations with my wife, Jessica, about if we did start a Patreon, the amount of extra work that would go into it. I knew that for a band setting of running something like that is a momentous task. And already with Cryptopsy, it takes us so long to actually release stuff to the mass public to do it to subscribers was something that just was a daunting task. So, so talk to me about running a Patreon and the, the wonderful uh, things that go on with that. Cause it sounds like you got some stuff to say. Well, I mean, it was definitely one of those things that started during the dark days where we had all this extra time to do things. <laughs> yes. And, um, I think it took me about two years before I found my footing, but doing it by yourself is, it's a lot. There's like schedules, deadlines, like carving out time for it. I have a very like ridiculously structured, like I showed my boyfriend the other day, my calendar and all like, he's just like, Oh my God. I'm how like, do you well, do like, this? this? Yeah. But it's like, this is my, this is how I get like all the things I got going on right now is how shit gets done. Whether I feel like it or not, there's daily reminders telling me, telling me what to do. It's Record like, record your intro, do that. Yeah. Yeah, past me telling future me what to do. So it's great. um, But, you know, I came to a point where I was just giving so much. And I mean, I have about 100 people on there at all times, but I was giving like, 
way more than what I was getting in return and it was burning me out. So I structured it in such a way that, you know, it's like doing things that have like a low output, high return, like the podcast that I have on there now and some other some other things like, you know, releasing a 20 second clip of whatever I'm working on, which people. Oh, seem that's to pretty love. cool. That. Yeah, it, it it was brave because I also was really I was also like fully releasing my demos on the highest tier. And I'm like, this is garbage, but someone's garbage is someone else's treasure. So, like, knock yourself out. Um but the the coolest thing that happened with my Patreon is um, before I joined Cradle of Filth, I started this folder on my laptop called I Don't Know What I'm Doing. And I just write these songs and I just chuck them into this folder to die in the back of my computer, my old PC behind me. And it was just weird stuff. It was like a lot of piano ballads crying about some dude who wasn't worth it. But a lot of like cool, like spooky trip hop influence stuff, which like I'm a huge fan of like Bjork and Massive Attack and Portishead and Hell yes. the whole family umbrella of trip hop. Love tricky, it. Tricky. It's my jam. Yeah. yeah, Tricky, Uncle, all of them. So, oh, Uncle. I love Uncle. Yes. Very cool, right? Yeah. So I was like, I found it when I was planning my Patreon because we were going through like my computers and looking for old content. I had like, years of content quote-unquote content photo shoots behind the scenes that i've just never released because i'm very like get it done and get on to the next thing it's funny how much we forget yeah right and i found this folder and i'm like there's like an album's worth of material in here this is ridiculous so every three months for the past three years i have done a track some of them have been metal some of them have already been released and uh, that in itself was a lot to juggle. It's like, okay, by month one, it has to be written. By month two, it has to be in production. By month three, it has to be like vocals tracked and being mixed, right? And something that was like, uh, there was like like the song Twin Flame and Undying Love. My patrons will know what I'm talking about. Those were like complete downloads from the universe, like new shit. Let's just like, let's do this. Where a lot of it was old stuff and recreating it. And I'm going into my last month of this with a piano ballad. And after this, I never, ever, ever, ever want to write a piano ballad ever again. <laughs> like, I, like this is my last go. I'm going to write a piece like, and most of it's been like electronics and strings and like this big, like sound, I guess, production. This is just going to be very like chill out just on a piano. But it's hard because the song, some of these songs are like 12, 14 years old, right? They're really, really old and they should have just been left in the past to die. And I'm over here like trying to breathe new life, life into them. And it's sometimes the challenge is cool, but other times there's this other voice in the back of my head, like you need to be working on new shit in your mm. next album. Like, what are you doing? You know, so no, no, I, I, I can totally feel that because there's, it takes emotional and energy to compose. And even if you're like working on stuff that you've already written, you still have to own up to it and, and showcase it with today's eyes and your, your yeah. expectations of your musical self now, even if it was written 14 years ago. So that is scary. And right. then your, your last solo big release was four years ago at this point. Yeah. So that yeah. looming like new album is, is is in the back of your mind pushing. So so you're 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 finishing up this this in the, this last three month endeavor uh, for the past three years. You're saying, and then new album is is coming is basically what you're hinting at. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure my patrons will be super stoked about that because everyone has wanted an, a heavy album from me since the last one i don't even consider the last one to be a heavy album there's like two and a half heavy songs on there and the rest of it's just like chilled out like gothic metal it's not like heavy or aggressive it's just sad and like it's like doom pop or something like it's just <laughs> ridiculously you know a lot of it's really chill and um yeah so i, I the thing is is that a lot of people don't know is like over the dark days um the dark years i did like five albums like i did worlds away and then i did i was producing an album for an artist and they scrapped it last minute that's fine no hair up like no, no skin off my back is what i'm gonna say like it's fine um 
I did the Cold Bound album. I finished composing the Antiqua album. Uh, and then I've been doing this quote unquote album on Patreon. So it's like, that's a lot that's of a music. Lot of like I Holy think Christ in 20, 2021, I wrote 52 songs. I wrote and produced and was wow. a part of 52 songs. I was like, yo, I think that I don't remember is 2021 or 2022. Do you find yourself drained after that? Where, where you don't even want to see an instrument? Yes and no. I mean, I still like to sing, but it was kind of the the ending of like composing the Antiqua album, which is this big, like symphonic meets black metal beat. And I was like, oh my God. By the time, by the end of that, I had one last writing trip with a guitarist. He flew in from Germany and we went to a cabin in the middle of nowhere, Quebec with Justine. Love her, our drummer. I love her. She's just, she's I shared a, a jam. To... I shared a jam room with her for many years. Yeah. She's just one of my favorite people to ever live. And we were wrapping up the last few songs and they're like, are you okay? And I'm like, I have, I have nothing left to give. (laughs) You were like a dried apple that was forgotten in the back of the fridge. (laughs) Yeah. Or like left in the, um, what is it? The dehydrator for too long. Like just like, (laughs) just like, like a beached coral, just crispy and crusty. And I was like, all right. And it took me a long time to, get that back like I didn't start getting the itch to want to write the next album until this year but then I got a new job and I was like oh shit and I had to go back to school while I was working and, wow but I've been s- slowly working on the new songs for the next album good suffering yes it's a good suffer yeah but now it's like okay we we know what the schedule's like I did my education I have my job I know how much time I have during the week so now it's like totally pulling an Avril Lavigne Taylor Swift like I got like three people writing for me it's like let's do this <laughs> I think that's awesome very very awesome something that's important for me and the podcast and something that I've been which is why I take breaks now is mental health um, mm-hmm. one of the big reasons you, you stated your departure from cradle was mental health talk to me about uh, your mental health and how you cope with everything the darkness uh, you in your statement when you left you mentioned therapy uh, talk to me about uh, how you cope with these dark days, uh, especially after going through the dark days. Right. Okay. So, like, you know, I leave Cradle and then the dark days hit. The dark days. I love how we call it that. I know. I know. It's, it's a thematic. Yeah. I might call it the dark days <laughs> with fine. Lindsay Schoolcraft. <laughs> Everyone, I stole that from my partner, Corey Hoffing. That was him entirely. He started calling it the dark days. I wasn't going to bring him up, but since he did, I love him. And he's a Vox and Ops alumni. Yeah, yeah he's he's good people. I'm very, I've always been so grateful for his friendship. And now that I get to date him, I'm over the moon. So He's awesome. Yeah. I met him many, many years ago when he was playing drums for Hello Beautiful. Oh, my God. That was like his first punk band or first band or uh, yeah something. definitely we played a, a library in toronto together that's also no where way. i met uh, mel cleal mel cleal was with fuck the facts that night that is wild i had no idea he never told me that story that's pretty cool that's really epic he loves you he doesn't shut up about you um but uh yeah sorry back to mental health i could talk about him forever uh because he's my favorite person. Um, but <laughs> uh, let's see. So, yeah, I I just got to a point where with Cradle, they move in such a way where they don't really take breaks. Like, they'll tour. We did two world tours in two years, like 2018 and 19. And then, like, I got home. And immediately they wanted us to start writing the follow-up for Cryptoriana. And I just, like, got to the piano. And, like, I think I wrote, like, one piece, which I eventually just released on Patreon. <laughs> A piano piece and I just tried to compose to what was being thrown at me I just there was nothing there and I just cried and I'm like I have to leave this isn't fair to the band this isn't fair to me um you know I was just so I had clinical burnout like I just couldn't do it anymore and it was a really hard decision to make but like ultimately I was so burned into the ground and at the time I was also surrounded by a lot of narcissists who were being very abusive to me and that falls from my childhood you know like when you're growing up around narcissists you are taught to fawn and people please and turned me into great narcissist bait for or being a narcissistic supply for adults later on so I got into therapy because if I kept going the way I was going with the expectations that were held on me which were extremely unrealistic like 
some within cradle because they don't know how to take breaks, but also in like my own personal life, my friend group, um, and you know, uh, my solo career. And I had to let a lot of people go. And I did a lot of hard therapy because like, if I stayed, if I kept going, I wouldn't be here today. Like it was just getting really, really tough. It was really tough because like, you know, when you're around narcissists for so long, they truly make you believe that like, you're not worth anything. And they just do that because they know that you can do and be and offer so much more than they ever could because they're so flawed, you know, bless them. But I, you know, I just let people have an opinion of me and wear me down and make me feel like worthless. So through months, like almost a year of intense therapy with um, my regular therapist and a psychologist, it really built back up um, my self-esteem. And that's the thing, like I, I was fighting for my life and I was doing the work. And that's the thing that I'm seeing in my life now is a lot of people go to therapy, but they don't do the work. Mm -hmm. They don't like Fix me. come away. Fix me. Yeah. They, they just want someone to like, listen to their problems and then just go about another week. It's kind of like the Christian who goes to confession on Sunday, but then keeps sinning all week. Like, it's just, it's not, you have to be the catalyst to create the better life for yourself. So, you know, through lots of hard work, I rebuilt myself. Um, and then, you know, I was like, okay, I'm going to start my Patreon. And I'm, you know, uh, during that time, even though I was in therapy, I did worlds away, even though it's like purely just a harp album and like with strings, like it's like it's an album that nobody asked for, but I did it for me. Um, and, uh, by the end of my journey, like my therapist is like, you know, you're good to go. My psychologist really broke down like what happened to my childhood and helping repair it. And then about a year later, I crashed again and I went back to my therapist and she's like, okay, I think I know what's going on here. So there's no official diagnosis because here in Canada, it's expensive and it's different for women than it is for men. But my therapist just put me through therapy for being autistic and I just started thriving. I just like, I just was like, this is my brain. This is how it works. This is who I am. And since then I've been able to really between, you know, a little bit of ADHD and OCD and anxiety, I've just been able to regulate everything and tell my brain to stop and really function again. But like, I just went from one extreme to the other with like workaholism and perfectionism. <laughs> and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. And, you know, it's I everyone's like yeah but you make so much happen it's like yeah but you've never seen me crash like I hide when I crash I, I yeah, don't yeah. no one hears from me for a yeah. week and I just couldn't keep doing that so it's almost as if each crash takes us down even further though and that's what started happening it happening again and then I realized that the person I with wasn't didn't understand me didn't want to understand me wasn't good for me um you know we grew apart and uh like I had to go back and do a little more hard work to put my, you know, put myself in a place where at least I'm stable enough to keep functioning. But yeah, it's mental health is super important to me, but it's something that I think a lot of people don't realize is like when you're, when your therapist sends you home with homework and a book to read or a podcast to listen to, like you have to do it. And I say that right now, as I have a life coach who's setting me like giving me like six weeks worth of homework and I haven't even started yet. <laughs> Can we still have time after this? <laughs> yes. I'm taking December off. Laura, don't worry. I'm going to do my homework. <laughs> that is important. A lot of people just like get therapy and then, then they think that they can get therapy or pay for something to fix them. Right. Not realizing like you no. fix you. No, it's like they, they, they give you a framework that you have to analyze yourself yes and that's uh i think it just it comes when you realize like like my biggest pet peeve is self-sabotaging behavior and when you see the bad habits you have and the self-sabotaging behavior and how much it robs you of potential opportunity energy all the good things that life has to offer you it's like, I don't want to do that anymore because I am literally, I am robbing myself from the future I could have. So this yes. needs to stop, you know, but until you have that level of awareness and accountability, it's just, it's, oh, it's a mess. And I've been there. So you got to grow, you got to live, you got to go through, you got to, you got to get through the trenches to, to, to get onto the higher ground. And it's, it's, it's the second time I bring it up, you got to go through the shit. 
Yeah. Yeah. And there's those moments in therapy, like trying to think I can think of one big breakthrough moment where I cried for like a day when I realized like, I don't think I'd ever truly been loved the way that I want to be loved. And that like hurts so much because like, I've just been chasing this dragon that doesn't exist. And then I was little, it's, you know, my parents are who they are, but they weren't like, I'm not ungrateful for them. I love them very much, but they weren't like a match for me. Like you had, like you have like, are they an intellectual match, an emotional match? Like, and my parents are like, they're people, they're cool. They're great. They did the best they knew how to do, but I needed more of like an emotionally, intellectually mature person to help me like guide me through life. Whereas like just being a provider is it's great. And it's, I'm not, I don't, I don't not appreciate it, but it, for me mentally wasn't enough and that moment where I was like I've never really been loved how I want to be loved it just and you look back at all your relationships and you're like girl why'd you settle for less but you just like you want you just you so desperately want it and you fall in love with potential hoping you're gonna get it and like this stops today good for you (laughs) so my gosh yeah and uh, having toured with a bunch of people and been in a bands with a bunch of people and being a little bit strange myself, uh, the, the <laughs> autism spectrum is all over the arts. Oh, yeah. Neurodivergence <laughs> for life. We're everywhere. <laughs> all over the arts. Uh, we are mm-hmm. both uh, sponsored by an awesome company called Audio Technica. We are both uh, artists. Yeah. So talk to me about that relationship. I'm using this mic right now. Um, I like it. I'm enjoying it. It's uh, my first time having it on a stand and I have my hands uh, to myself, which is fun. Uh, talk to me about uh, that relationship. I remember you in your post when you announced it or on your website, at least you mentioned it was a dream of a lifetime. Talk to me about working with Audio Tactico. Oh, I love them. They're, they're so supportive. I actually have, I was ripping on this one today here. Well, let's see if I can get it over here. It's behind a little mesh thing right now, but it's my AT4040. I like to keep that on because it gets dusty in here. Um, and I love their headphones. Um, they sent me lots of headphones. I'm like, hell yeah. Hell so yes. I got one for shout the road, one Marino. for home. Yeah. yeah, shout out to Mike. He is the coolest. Yeah, it was just like, it came about, I was doing this show earlier this year. What a disaster. I did this show with a bunch of string players during an ice storm in Montreal. Mm-hmm. And That's how that half of Half of the people couldn't make it. Shout out to everyone who bought a ticket, though. Like, on paper, it looked great. but Yeah, that ice storm was a real thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it was bad. And and Mike actually came out and said, hey, we really want to make you an artist. And I was like, no way. Like, no. And he's like, yeah. I'm like, okay. So we went ahead with it. And uh, they've just been amazing. And it's such an honor. And I love, you know, being a producer myself. I just love working with their stuff. I've always been a big fan. So... Yeah, they're the best. And I can't wait to grow with them in the future as my career and production career grows over time. So, yeah, they're a good good family to be part of. <laughs> I like it. Me too. I feel very happy being a part of it. Uh, talk to me about mm-hmm. uh, collabs. I love collabs. I have released, I was counting today because I bid a bunch of posts for my beer collabs. I think I released 35 beers this week. This this what this week? They I released 35 beers. This week alone. <laughs> I released 35 beers this year. About 80 of wow. them since the the birth of the podcast. So uh, cool. Talk to me about something that would be perfect for you, uh, a Lindsay Schoolcraft collab. What would be the perfect perfect collab? And I imagine maybe actually now that I was thinking about it as we were talking, did you have anything to do with the Cradle of Filth uh, Pitch Black North tea? Yeah. Yeah, I, I started that, but then I left. Um, I don't know where it ended up. Oh, they made the tea. Yeah, I saw that year. is like the soap came out. I was like, I got them connected for the soap. And then the eyeshadow palette, it was like mainly me. That was my baby. Um, so, yeah, those were some things I did for Cradle, but then I had to leave, right? Um, I don't know. Like, I'd love to have my own harp. Uh, oh, fuck yeah. But that's a huge undertaking, maybe one day. Um, what, what are the biggest challenges having your own harp? What would be having the, the nylon strings is a must. Oh, it just would look ridiculous. It look, it'd be like shaped like a moon or like it would just be the, the most ridiculous looking thing on the face of the planet. Like like ergonomically, it would make absolutely no sense. It look like an anime character. I, I do remember your keyboard with with Tradle was. Oh, God was interesting motion. yes because i also yeah. spoke to cohen and he has he also plays the same that model. was his fault yeah yeah <laughs> yeah 
yeah, he got me hooked up with them, and then I showed it to Danny Filth, and Danny's like, oh, I love it, do it. And oh, I'm like, totally, oh, yeah. God, I hated playing it. It was, <laughs> it was rough to play, but we got through it. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I'd love to do, like, my own brand, Hummus. That'd oh, be hell sick. yes. Like, all the ideas I had the past five years have come out, like pickle hummus and beet hummus. And, Delicious. you know, there's a, there's a few more I want to keep in the, the back of my mind. Okay. But, like, yeah, I don't know. I haven't thought about a collab in a very, very long time. But maybe in the future there'll be more. I just don't know yet. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, we're going to wrap this up. Typically, I ask people about their hangover cure. Uh, before we jump into that, though, we will give a shout out to uh, Bradley Zordreger, a good friend of both of ours. Um, I love him and he's awesome. He's great. He's uh what I call him the Deathcore King. He's what a what a unique human. He's been a huge supporter of my career the past well, since we became friends and no longer had a YouTube beef. Um oh. I had no idea. You about had a YouTube it. beef. Well, he 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 reviewed that Belzebub's album and didn't give it a very good review. You know, it's funny and though is I... that the only way that I knew about Belzebub was because Bradley Zogdarger brought it up on my episode with him. Right, right, and he, uh, yeah, I just said in the comments like he shouldn't reviewed it. Art subjective. He didn't get the point of it. Like Dylan Gowan should have reviewed it. And for two years, oh, I like he thought Dylan I like, hated yeah. him. <laughs> Love Dylan. We know all the same and, uh, people. It's so weird we never met. Yeah, we do. It's so weird that we've never met before. I don't understand. I just don't understand it's this. Like, it's like, a, it's so, like well, there's no six degrees here. It's no. It's just what the hell. Finally, That's full so circle funny. moment. Here we go. So so finally, so, yeah. he, he got over the, the YouTube comment. We got over our beef, and we've been like best friends ever since. He still calls me almost every day. Great guy. Oh, great awesome. guy. Great, genius. great manager. Very smart. Yeah. Very marketing smart. genius. Yeah. Very absolutely. very smart. I'm in contact with. Uh, a, a gummy company to make worms for Cryptops. It's his idea. I, I'm going to have to tell him that. <laughs> He's talked about that with me forever. Yeah, I'm so it's glad. A good idea. No, no, because the lady, a, a lady at work's husband works at a very big gummy, gummy industry here in, in Montreal. I love it. <laughs> it's going to happen. So I got to write an email. Um, I typically wrap up with a uh, hangover cure. It does not apply here. Let's do a fight no, the hops Pedialyte. instead. Obviously. Uh, and it's always in the fridge for the kids when they're sick. Um, right? Fight the hops. Uh, what are you doing right now? A very short-term goal, something that you're aspiring to accomplish, let's say, within the next month, the next two months. What is a very short-term goal? What are you doing right now to fight the hops? Oh, man. I don't want to give away too much, but I'm, I'll, just, I'll just hint at this. I'm learning how to hold my breath underwater for long amounts of time to be able to be filmed. So I'll leave it at that. Leave it. Maybe have a new single coming out next year. Wow. But, you know, how, when you want to you star on your own music videos, how are you practicing towards that? Now I'm interested looking like a complete moron at the local swimming pool, just like going underwater and holding my breath while like doing all these elaborate movements. And I just look like the special person in the pool. Wow. And these kids and old people are like, what is she doing? And You're going to have to like, like weight down your feet. I know it's, it's kind of like you let the water all out and you sit at the bottom of the pool for as long as you can. Wow. <laughs> I, it was really hard at first. I literally, I put my head underwater and I panic because like my body was like not used to the feeling. I used to be like an avid swimmer when I was a kid. Like, oh my God, I swam all the time. But I feel you like know, our ears have changed too though. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if the multiple flying ears or the, the, the we take good care of our ears, but there's, there's still some abuse going on there. <laughs> how many ear infections I've got from my in-ears and I clean them every day. Hmm. Um, life on tour you know but yeah so that's like that's the weird one that i've got going on right now i think i'm gonna pull my partner my partner Corey, into it too he seems pretty enthusiastic about it but i'm like are you sure acting underwater is really hard he's like ah, yeah, just push me in the pool i'm like no no, no you, you don't understand <laughs> how long can you hold your breath underwater it's hard so we'll see what happens <laughs> interesting i'm excited for that Lindsay. thank you so so much for taking the time to hang out with me talk about life talking about music talking about uh uh, sorry, cider. Talking about cider. Um, yes, I yes. appreciate you very much. I'm looking forward to hanging out face to face. This was cool. I appreciate it. Yeah. Cheers to you. Thanks for having me. Cheers. I love it. <laughs> Yay, we did it. 
Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening to Write the Daniel that I love and appreciate that. Man, this was a long overdue conversation. I can't believe that we never met each other. We know so many of the same people. We are just about the same age. So I'm very, very stoked that I finally did have a conversation with Lindsay. I am super, super in awe of her work ethic and everything that she's accomplished. You should most definitely go check out all of her new stuff that she's got going on, uh, such as that new album that she hinted at, which I imagine is going to come out in 2024. And I hope that she takes some time to relax and recuperate as she planned to in the next month, because it's important to take care of ourselves and to always prioritize getting out of the dark days in a better way. Massive thanks to you, Lindsay, for hanging out with me. I truly, truly appreciate it. Now, if you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode, you should sign up to the Vox and Hops Middle Podcast mailing list. You can do that on my website, voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. And when you do that, you shall receive one email a week that contains all of the details of everything that has happened recently in the world of the Vox and Hops Middle Podcast. You get to see which episodes I dropped recently. You will get to see which episodes I have coming up. You will get to hear about any projects I have in the works before I announce them to the public. You will also get to find out what's going on in the world of Cryptopsy and with Asgamora Burns. We have a lot of stuff going on, so if you want to be up to date in that, sign up to the mailing list. The mailing list also includes all the details of all the albums that the Vox and Hops album review crew have reviewed recently, and you will get to see which albums Jerry Monk, Vox and Hops' Metal Architect, has added to the Brutal Awakenings playlist. There's always a lot of stuff going on in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal podcast, so please do me a favor and sign up to the mailing list because I hate when you miss a single thing. The Vox and Hops Metal podcast is brought to you by Sound Talent Media and Evergreen Podcasts. I hope you have a killer month of December. That's right, I am taking one month off. This is the final episode of 2023. I will be back with brand new episodes in 2024, but until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hops heads. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street.